When I was growing up in Bakersfield, my favorite thing in all the world was to go to the movies on Saturday afternoons for the chapter plays. Cliffhangers. I know that, Mr. Man. They also call them serials. I'm not stupid, you know. Anyway, my favorite was Rocket Man. And once it was a no-breaks chapter. And the bad guys stuck him in a car on a mountain road and knocked him out and welded the door shut and tore out the brakes and started him to his death. And he woke up and tried to steer and tried to get out, but the car went off a cliff before he could escape. And it crashed and burned and I was so upset and excited. And the next week, you better believe I was first in line. And they always start with the end of the last week. And there was Rocket Man trying to get out. And here comes the cliff. And just before the car went off the cliff, he jumped free and all the kids cheered. But I didn't cheer. I stood right up and started shouting, This isn't what happened last week! Have you all got amnesia? They just cheated us! This isn't fair! He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car! Welcome back to The Fear of God. This is, in fact, episode 58. Even I can't believe how far we've come here. Um, we are in the middle of an amazing series. Technically, not even really the middle yet. We are trekking our way through, and next week we'll be at the middle of a, our current series, lovingly titled Hashtag I Love the 90s, crowdsourced content on these episodes speaking to you right now is one of your normal hosts um whatever you want to call me nathan rouse um usually with me is just longtime friend of a couple of decades at this point which is awesome and yet a little sad at the same time not that we've been friends that long but that you know it's i'm getting old y'all and it's both of our birthday months as well so typically with me is is just fellow birthday month partner reed lackey but uh he was here a minute ago and he said something about needing to look up um spam meatloaf recipes just something about just giving it that little extra zip you know i mean i I don't know maybe he'll surprise us all with just you know we'll throw that up on pinterest and we'll see what comes of that recipe while he's away i did want to just take a minute though and share a little secret with you guys so right now we're in the thick as i mentioned of hashtag all of the 90s next month uh, i gotta tell this stuff fast before he gets back um next month we are trekking through hashtag stranger things giving i want to reveal right now what we're going to be doing in december i'm excited about this i hope you guys are excited about these series because we really and honestly it doesn't matter a ton if you aren't excited about it because we are very excited about it um but in december we are going to be um, doing a series called hashtag a scary burton christmas 
Um, in case it's unclear, we will be covering some of the works of Mr. Tim Burton. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. We won't reveal exactly what that lineup is just yet. So a little bit of a teaser there. And, you know, just wanted to let you get read. Oh, hi. Don't, don't tell him what I, don't tell him what I said, guys. Welcome back, man. How's I it going? Found. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Nothing, 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 nothing to nothing see going you? on. Oh, okay. Just hang, just. Just hanging out with everybody. Oh, awesome! Um, uh, well, I'm, you know, just, I'm, just I made you some uh, I made you some spam meat. So uh, it's my special meatloaf. Some spam meat or some spam meatloaf? Spam okay. meatloaf. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. uh, some spam meatloaf, and uh, I really like it. I think it turned out well this time. Yeah, I uh, yeah I added some uh, crumbled up ramen noodles in it this time, and okay, yeah, it it turned out better than it did the last three times. You know, so I don't think I'm going to throw up this time. It's, it's it's really gonna okay, be good. Okay, well, I good, promise. and I think it goes nice with just a glass of red wine. I mean, you know. Ah, yes, um, yes. Don Perignon, please. Don Perignon. Yeah, no, Don Perignon. I think is Don what Perignon. It's that's the one. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Reed, welcome, my friend. Hi, so how's it going? I was I was reminding everybody that we are working on hashtag I love the nineties. Last week we yes yes discussed. Uh, for myself, a rather surprisingly strong entry into that yes. 90s horror canon, uh, the Blair Witch Project. So that was a lot of fun. And, but, well, I don't want to reveal just yet <laughs> what we're talking about today. <laughs> there are, there are no, there are no context clues whatsoever. No, no, um, no, no, no. <laughs> but I did, I, I did want us to, much like we did last week, if you read, I don't know if you remember this because you've got a lot on your plate, uh, spam meatloaf being one of them. <laughs> um, or if the, or if the audience remembered this, um, we kind of crowdsourced this, this series we starting sure did, back in July. Yes. We, we began polling, um, our listeners to see what would ultimately be the top 100 horror movies from 1990 to 1990. 99. That's right. We do have that list. It is complete. Is it? It is intact. Uh, it is in a vault um, <laughs> on Reed's in Reed in Reed's Dropbox. So uh, um, <laughs> when we are, we'll try to figure out if we're going to do anything different with this. But I do know at the end of the series, we will release all 100 and show yes. you guys what yes. you all voted on. Um, specifically, we will be um, kind of bullet pointing the top 50, uh, kind of 10 at a time. Um, for the five weeks of October, last week we covered entries 50 through 41. <laughs> I hate math too. Descend- yes, descending math is always going to be a trouble spot for us theater people. Um, this week we are going to be bullet pointing numbers 40 through 31. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, let's, let's just, if it's okay with you, let's just jump let's right do in it. and see. See what the people had to say. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So why don't you why don't you start? All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, your number forty for your favorite films of the nineteen nineties is a film that I love. Uh, I think it's really fun, and I think it's really great. You selected as number forty, "Tales from the Hood," directed by Rusty Cundiff. Uh, if I'm saying his name correctly, which maybe I'm not, but it is an anthology <laughs> film. Um, it is uh, it is a film that is made up of several uh, loosely connected stories, all with what I will call uh, an urban theme. It's basically tales from the crypt, but uh, of course, it's called. Tales from the Hood. Have you ever heard of this movie? I believe I'm pretty sure I've heard of it, but I've not oh, seen it. This movie is bonkers and it's great. It's it's so There's going to be so there's going to 
There's going to be a lot of questions answered that way in the coming weeks <laughs> where I say, I have heard of it, but I have not seen it. <laughs> that's, I think that's going to happen more than it's not. Well, as um, we mentioned that last said, week. Uh, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I was just going to say, as we mentioned last week, really all hundred of these that we haven't already talked about is fodder for eventual coverage. And I think Tales from the Hood is right up there because, man, I love it. It's great. I would love cool. to, well, I, to make it. I can't case. wait. To let everybody know that the dentist made the top ten. Um, but as as for movies, it was a surprise. It was a dark horse that one. Um, uh, as for number thirty nine, I have seen this. Nice, um, and that would be Stephen King's The Stand. Yes, directed by Mick Garris, which in this case, you know, to to nuance this a little bit, was the TV miniseries starring Gary Sinise. Exactly. Um, yes. and and Dauber from Coach. <laughs> right yes he's definitely in there <laughs> and rob blow right rob Lowe's in it yeah he is it, it has and, uh, molly ringwald's in it i mean it's got a lot of yes, uh, molly ringwald that's what got a lot for. of uh 80s stars sort of making and parker lewis <laughs> parker lewis can't lose in yes that role yes he's in it um yeah it's got a lot of uh big stars from the 80s uh making sort of a not a not quite a comeback <laughs> i wouldn't call it a comeback um but uh <laughs> they'd been there for years <laughs> right <laughs> i'm glad you're my friend um so, uh, but i i personally uh, i do i do really enjoy the stand as uh we talked about last uh, two weeks ago with it with stephen king's it the 90 miniseries Time has not been as kind to it. Nostalgia is is sort of more my reasons for enjoying it. But I remember loving it when I first saw it. Um, and it's it, obviously it still holds up for some people because it's number thirty nine in the list. But uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's it's fun. It's you know they've one. been they've been like so many of these King properties though. Maybe you know we are getting at peak King. Uh, maybe something actual will happen. But they've been flirting with a new production of the stand for a number of years. In fact, yeah, Affleck sort of rumored to be attached in some yeah. sort of directorial capacity though i don't know if that's a couple of years gone now yeah um, i think so i would not want this to be done in a feature format like you just right it's, right it's it just not it's not gonna work it's not gonna happen no. so hopefully if they do tackle it it'll be in the even revisiting the sort of maxi series kind of premium sure, tv yeah. type of format yeah. uh netflix or an hbo or something like that that's definitely the format that it needs to be in but Enough about the stand. Let's uh, let's let's drift on down the the line to number thirty eight. So number thirty eight is a film that I was actually surprised is as low as it was in the list. I'm not disappointed by that, but um, I was expecting, given the nomination love for it, that it would be a lot higher in the list. Number thirty eight is directed by Antonio Bird, Ravenous, starring Guy Pierce. Uh, this is a fascinating interesting unique and uh and and very inventive film uh, you've, you've have you ever se- heard of it i know you haven't seen it have you ever heard of it <laughs> that's not um, a dig i, I just might see, here's a variation i might have heard of it i've not seen it <laughs> <laughs> but um i'm not going to tell you anything about it except uh that uh it, it it deals i get the impression somebody in it is hungry uh yes and hungry for uh for human flesh um but uh, uh, well, I, fig- I figured <laughs> but uh yeah it's 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 a film that is uh it, i just don't want to say too much more about it it's a it's a period piece deals in a in a sort of offbeat way with with the cannibalism thing but i don't even want to say too much more about that because you should just see it at some point it's on netflix uh right now uh yeah you should definitely check it out and listeners have see you guys in a little while i'll be back (laughs) (laughs) i'll wait here um right right (laughs) 
For number 37, Reed, um, number 37 on the list of the top 100 films, horror films of the 1990s, is Cube, directed by Cube. Vincen- Vincenzo Natale, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen this, but if the trailer rings out, is about a box, and there's a guy named Richard, and he gets in it, and <laughs> SNL would later spoof it <laughs> that is not wow that is not no, no. <laughs> at first i was like box of the rich oh oh no oh no one oh that's hysterical box. and then you watch cube oh no but no no, 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 no. I've, I've, re- I've really not i've really not seen it <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, the uh, no, sincerely, uh, it's a. I was surprised that this made it as high as it did because this is an independent thriller. It's not. It's it's pretty. Uh, it, it's an escape thriller, and it at its heart, it's just essentially you know people are in a scenario that they know is is deadly, and they're trying to get out of it. Um, it's got some science fiction elements. It obviously has some horror elements, but it's uh, it's offbeat. And I was surprised that it got as much affection and love as it did. Um, I mean, it did get nominated uh, by a few different people. But, uh, yeah, to make it at number 37 in the list is is pretty substantive. Uh, I have not seen it in a number of years. I remember liking it a lot when I saw it, um, but it has been a long time. I was, I was just actually really kind of surprised. It made me want to revisit it just to check out why it resonated with so many different people. But again, we're we're clipping at a brisk pace because we have another film, a big film, to have a big conversation about. So going right along to number thirty six is a film that uh, hit my radar before hashtag I love the nineties, and I had not revisited it in a long time. I still haven't revisited it, but uh, it was on my sort of to be watched soon list. It is uh, directed by Andrew Fleming. The Craft. It is about uh, four witches in a Catholic high school. Let's just leave it there. All right. <laughs> but uh, have you? So no. But seriously, it's been so long. No, since no. I just saw this movie. I, no, because you were about to ask me. No, I haven't. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was. This was the other 1996 Nev Campbell movie because uh, the the main 1996. The other Nev one was movie. Where the Wild Things Are. Right. That's that's the one. Except that it's actually just wild, <laughs> wild things, uh, and was much later. And, they, but, and and that was like let the wild rumpus start. That's that movie. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, our friends, the body and the blood, are not here uh, anymore, so we can't we can't you know dredge down that path. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, no, no. In all I'll do their work for them. Um, in all seriousness it's been a long time since i've seen it but i've been meaning to revisit this film uh for some time and now maybe there's an excuse to because listeners voted it as number 36 so uh and it's on netflix right now so so i i'm without excuse i have to uh to check this film out and see see why the listeners resonated with it so strongly awesome well number 35 is a movie titled the prophecy um, which, if I had to guess, mm-hmm. has something to do with a prophecy. Um, and it is directed by Gregory Wyden. And it stars Christopher Walken, Casey Jones, and Aragorn of Arathorn. So, 
<laughs> as Lucifer himself. And uh, so I, I feel the need to apologize to listeners because listeners voted for each and every one of these. I have seen most of the movies on the list, but a lot of them not recently. Um, I'm going to spend a, 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 a few seconds talking about the ones that are big deals to me, of which The Prophecy is. The Prophecy is a great... I, I love The Prophecy. It features Christopher Walken plays the angel Gabriel, and in the movie, he has rebelled against God. So he comes down, and he's sort of bringing about the apocalypse and the humans who are trying to stop him have to call in Lucifer to stop him. It's this is that's a in, that's intense. It's a it's a really cool, really cool movie. And I will say this in all seriousness is kind of in my estimation sort of responsible for making Christopher Walken this combined with his handful of SNL sketches are responsible for making Christopher Walken the pop culture figure that he is today. Prior to that, he was simply an actor, a, an really? Academy Award-winning actor. Yeah, but in terms of a pop culture figure, he didn't really achieve that status, if my memory serves me correctly, until The Prophecy came out, and about that same time he was on SNL with those iconic you know, cowbell sketches, etc. But The Prophecy was like you know, some of... Christopher Walken's most noteworthy quirks, his little, you know, like the way he carries himself and everything all come in large part from his performance in this film. Uh, and, and I love it. I would love, I'd love for you to see it sometime to let me know. Remember too. I mean, again, I don't know when the prophecy came out, but he was also in Pulp Fiction, which was 94. So I don't know. Oh yeah. 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 This was, Um, this was right after it. This was 95. Oh, okay. But, Um, But yeah. Oh, you're, you're next. Sorry. I was about to take your, uh, Oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I talked so darn much about the movie. But, um, okay, so number 34, um, John Carpenter makes yet another appearance with a film that is, I think, really, really great and deserves to be uh, in this list, uh, maybe even slightly higher, but it is In the Mouth of Madness, starring Sam Neill, about the uh, the end of the world in book form. Um, yeah, I, this, is a, this is a fantastic movie. We almost covered it last October for our Carpenter profile. Uh, I think... It's likely that we may revisit this again uh, at some point soon, but I really love In the Mouth of Madness. I think it's a great, great movie. Number 33 would be Kronos, directed by Mr. Guillermo del Toro. Oh, man. Kronos is is fantastic. I mean, early Guillermo del Toro is ripe for your uh, for your discovery because you've seen Pan's Labyrinth. And sure. Have you seen anything else? Like, have you seen Devil's Backbone? You haven't seen this. Have you seen nope. any of those others? Oh man, we should uh, we should at some point do a series on Guillermo del Toro so that there's an excuse for you to see these films. Kronos is great. Devil's Backbone is great. Uh, yeah, it, it's it, this is a really really strong uh, really strong film. It's obviously it's foreign <clears throat> language. It's in Spanish, um, but yeah, Kronos is a great great movie. It's got a it's kind of a vampiric quality to it. It's it's not quite about vampires. Uh, it, you'd kind of have to see it. It's it, it's as you would expect from Guillermo del Toro. It's a little offbeat and and pretty different, but it's great. It's really really great. Um, so uh, thirty two. Man, I was excited that this made it in. Directed by Steve Miner. Halloween H2O, also known as Halloween Water. Um, this <laughs> this is, uh, without a doubt, my favorite of the Halloween sequels um, up to this date. It 
featured the return of Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode, and uh, she badly wanted John Carpenter to direct this, but uh, there's a story that we covered last October when we talked about it. Um, They wouldn't accept Carpenter's request for fee, and Steve Miner got directorial duties, but I still think this film is really solid, and it's one of my favorite of the sequels, and I'm so excited, so excited that not only is John Carpenter back involved with the upcoming Halloween, not only is he producing it, not only is he possibly scoring it, but they did announce that officially Jamie Lee Curtis is returning as Laurie Strode for the new Halloween movie that's coming out next year. And I am so thrilled. I'm oh, so excited. That's next year? That's next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am oh, so oh, excited. I, I was actually, I was, because of the fear of God, I was, I saw a lot of the buzz about her being attached to it. Yeah. And I just presumed it was coming out. You know, like this month, and so I was like, oh, oh. I want to go see that now. No, no, no. So, are there are, fill in the gaps for the uh, the the Halloween ignorance um, of which, of course, I'm probably the only one. <laughs> uh, are there Halloween films post H two O? Yes, unfortunately, there are. Um, there was, uh, <laughs> ha- <laughs> yeah. There's uh, Halloween Resurrection. Um, which actually featured, uh, spoiler alert for Halloween Resurrection, the first 10 minutes of it, Jamie Lee Curtis agreed to come back only if they agreed to kill her. So uh, the, in the first 10 minutes, she comes back as Laurie Strode and dies. And then it's a stupid movie that follows that. And then Rob Zombie made his two Halloween films. And then the series has largely been sort of debunked uh, or defunct, I should say, uh, up to that point. But Carpenter's willingness to get reinvolved is what has brought everything back to fruition. Right, right. So so what they have said about this new film, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is, re- is returning as Laurie Strode. What they have said about this new film is that it is ignoring every bit of Halloween chronology past the first sequel. So Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and then this new film is going to ignore, makes me sad, it's even ignoring H2O. Like, it's ignoring everything uh, following Halloween 2. So, uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm curious did to he, see. So, so did he direct 2? Uh, he did not direct 2. He only directed the first one. But he did produce 2. He did produce Halloween oh, okay. 2. And uh, so, yeah, but I'm excited to see where they could take the story from now because it's got Carpenter's blessing on it and it's got Carpenter's involvement in it. So that's an, that's enough at this point for me to to want to see it. And then Jamie Lee Curtis back. I mean, yeah, there's no way I won't be there opening night. <laughs> it's it's great. I'm so excited with with your cup of activity. Right. Yes. Hey, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay, I, I, no, I, I, I I'm not right. knocking Jamie. Lee, I'm not. I am not knocking Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so, very last on our our rundown here. So, this has been numbers forty through thirty-one in the top fifty horror movies from the nineteen nineties. Number thirty-one. Uh, also, what I com- sometimes get accused of being would be <laughs> the Devil's Advocate, directed by Taylor Hackford. Um, this is with Al Hua Pacino. <laughs> um, uh, Keanu, I know Kung Fu Reeves and Charlize, Mr. F. Theron. <laughs> you like that? You like how I did all that? That was I really just all in the moment. That was all in the moment. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, it's great. I have seen this one. I have seen it. Oh, tell me what you think about qu- it. Quite a while. I, uh, not much. <laughs> just, it's, it's pretty lost to memory. Um, so yeah, I've seen it though. Yeah. So yeah. there's that. I actually really like its sort of gothic qualities. I feel like it's a. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times, and I feel like it's got a good atmosphere to it. Um, Al Pacino. I mean, you've got Al Pacino pairing up against Keanu Reeves. So guess who steals every scene? Um, so yeah, it's uh, Keanu all the way down the line. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, uh, but it's a film that I really enjoy. Um, I, I liked it a lot. It wouldn't have landed like 31 for, for me if I was making a personalized list, but I definitely understand why it's here, and I think it, it deserves its place. It's it's a really strong, uh, strong entry. So listeners, good job. Good job, listeners. That was your 40 through 31 of your listener voted uh, hashtag I love the 90s. If you disagree with any of the placements or you wish they were different, then, well, yeah, that's how the votes came out. You have uh, only yourselves to blame. Uh, let me see how many times I can do that and just alienate all uh, yeah, yeah. more. Well, I mean, there's five weeks in October, so I think you'll be able to at work le- it in somehow. Yeah. At, at least le- five times. At least five times. Um, but uh, as we did last week, uh, we are going to be having a more extended conversation about a film that is in your top 10. As we did last week, we're not going to tell you where it is until the final week of Hashtag I Love the 90s. But uh, this film that we're talking about today, which uh, I'll let Nathan sort of dive into what it is, made your top 10. So, Nathan, Reed. tell us what we're talking about today. Well, you know, we are talking about a film I I, I can only describe as I, I had seen it before and I thought it was a little piece of cock then. Um, but I, I really, it, it really confirmed for me what a dirty bird you are for suggesting this whole thing. Um, we are, we are in fact talking about, um, Stephen King's uh, adapt or the adaptation of Stephen King's work directed by Rob Reiner, Misery. Um, yes. Starring Kathy Bates. Uh, what a movie. So Reed, I've got a, I've got a question for you, um, to kind of kick off, kick off the Misery conversation. You know that old game, Would You Rather? You know, would uh, you rather yes, yes, I do. Kick a puppy or jump uh, off a bridge or something. You know, those, wow. that, that old. <laughs> the, uh, hey, this is a show about horror stuff. So, um, in the spirit of that, would you rather? Oh, no. I want you to think about this for a minute. This is going to be. Would awesome. you rather die in a car accident in the snow or get saved by Annie Wilkes? <laughs> There's no, there's no question. Like, like, yeah. I, b- I believe in Jesus. I believe in heaven. Like, kill me in the car accident and put me out of my misery. Like, yeah, I am. Not, put me out of my misery, literally. Um, like, yeah, no, I'm, I am, but, uh, definitely but, a car but, wreck but, all the way. But even, even if she's your number one fan, I mean, like, yeah, that's, no, 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 like, no, no, that's an opportunity. That's that's uh that's fan service. I don't need like no 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 no. Uh, sure. I, I and you know what's funny is uh man. Annie Wilkes is like the, the she's a nightmare scenario. Like it's one of the things where she's probably Stephen one of Stephen King's greatest villainous creations. I mean, like yes, Pennywise is freaky. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, yes, Pennywise is is horrifying, but Annie Wilkes is freaking possible. Like right, you know, like right. it's it's one of those things where I think that's why it's so terrifying. Like his his real yeah, his supernatural elements are are something that's uh we've we've gone back and forth on our affection or our love for, but yeah, Annie Wilkes is entirely possible and that makes her all the more terrifying as a result. Um I do want to mention one note before we get too deep into it because we, we haven't really addressed this yet. So up until this point, up until this film um, we have only covered the works of Stephen King in our Quarterly King series. So, yep. uh, in case listeners were wondering, that Quarterly King series is not going away. Um, we debated quite heavily about whether or not to cover Misery or one of the other films from the top ten. Where we kind of landed was just in recognizing that, A, Misery is just so good. It's such a great film. I I love it. B, uh, it is in your top ten, so it... it 
deserved its place in this series. Um, but then also see it is so 1990s. Like this is this is such a film that represents the stylistic themes, the trends, the structural stylings of the 1990s. So it is. it was almost essential that we talk about this film in this series. Um, we're not abandoning the Quarterly Kings by any stretch. We're just, uh, you know, co- covering Misery a little early. Um, but all of that having been said, how many times had you seen this? I know you'd seen it before, uh, before this particular yeah, this, viewing. Yeah, this would be um, the second time. So. Okay, okay. Um, and, and actually... I, I actually have not read this book, so it would be oh. one I would enjoy getting to at some point. Yeah, you really should. This is one of my favorite of Stephen King books because I've mentioned a time or two on social media and, and in conversation that one of the things you and I think both agree on is that as much as we love Stephen King's writing and as much as we love his stories and, and virtually find everything that he writes uh, at least enjoyable to a degree um he struggles with his endings so his endings are usually uh either a little flat or a little complicated or not quite uh the punch that you would want but the journey getting there is so great it usually doesn't matter misery is on a short list of maybe uh half a dozen to ten books that i consider to have a perfect ending i think misery has an absolutely perfect ending i think it is well then take take a minute how does it sync up with the book i mean with the movie uh, almost, almost verbatim. Oh, really? Yeah, almost verbatim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 movie ends exactly the same way that the book ends, and I just think it's I think it's a perfect as in as in with him with him seeing her visions of her. Is that what you're? What do you? Oh, to? yes, yeah. Well, all of it. The the way that the stuff in the house ends with him burning the book and and attacking her and all of that kind of stuff, and then uh, him surviving. The one thing that the movie leaves out. Well, no, it doesn't quite leave it out. Um, the book ends on a much more Man, you haven't read it, so I feel bad like spoiling this moment for you. It's but, all good. but the last the last few pages of the book are actually a little emotional because uh-huh. he had dealt with he became an alcoholic coming out of the experience with Annie Wilkes. Paul Sheldon had become an alcoholic and um so then he struggled to write. He suffered from years of writer's block after his experience with Annie Wilkes. So the book ends with him finding that muse again and as he is starting to type uh, the book that she made him burn, um, he's weeping. So tears going down his face as he's writing again. And, and it's kind of, you know, a lovely sort of poignant moment. Sure. That he's finally free and finally whole. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, it, 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 it's a really satisfying book. The only caveat that I put to the experience of reading the book is that the book he writes for her and King's done this a couple of times. That book is inside the book. So so you do read sections of the book that he is writing for her, and that detracts from the plot a little bit. Well, a lot, actually, because it's this whole subset thing. But I would even recommend, some people are going to consider this sacrilege, I would even recommend if you read the book, you can just skip those parts. You can just, you can just glide right over the parts of the book within a book. But then uh, how will we know how misery returns? I know, right? Exactly. I know. Um, but, uh, and, and if Stephen King, he's not going to, but if he were ever listened to this, he would just, he would disavow it and we would get hate mail from it. But in my opinion, you can skip over those parts of the story within the story, but the story around it is so tight and so strong and so great. Even with the story within the story, the book's only a little over 300 pages, so it's a very quick read. Um, sure. It's, for uh, him. Yeah, it's re- yeah, for him. Um, but yeah, it's really strong. I recommend anybody check out the book. Even if you've seen the film, it's, it's really, really good. 
so I have a couple of little trivial bits here, but I, I don't know. You've been doing some research on me lately. Do you have any? Do you have any trivial bits to share, or uh, maybe you know, something come to you as we? I as feel. We go I feel. I feel negligent. This is actually one of the few. I think I actually forgot to do some backstory because because she's so strong. Because the production, you know, Rob Reiner, like there's such a weight attached to it. I think sure, I just, sure. I, I, I didn't. So tell me, fill okay. me in, Reed. All right, no problem. So as I mentioned before, the film is very of the '90s, stylistically, tonally, visually. It's it's in my opinion a quintessential example of the American filmmaking style of the 1990s. Um, those are characterized by, you know, a sweeping orchestra score, brightly framed cinematography, uh, and a very firmly structured narrative style. I think this is speculation on my part, but I think that because home viewing was as popular as it was in the 90s. It had kind of reached the the zenith. Sure. Because it had reached its zenith, so many filmmakers were styling towards the home viewing experience, and so that's how a lot of the films from the 90s feel. They feel sort of ready for the home viewing experience, and, and Misery definitely uh, falls into that category, even though they that's not to say that they're not cinematic in nature, but they, they do sort of feel like the kind of thing that you could watch at home. One thing is that I think is noteworthy is that it's thus far the only Stephen King adaptation to receive an Academy Award. It's it's the only one. Hundreds of adaptations. It's the only one to receive an Academy Award. We'll get into that in likes, dislikes, I'm sure. But are you sure Dreamcatcher didn't? I'm I'm totally joking. Dreamcatcher is oh, a terrible movie. I was totally I kidding. I done it. <laughs> yes, Dreamcatcher <laughs> is an abomination. Um, but, it's a pretty uh, good book, though, but terrible movie. Agree with everything you just said. Um, but yeah, so, so far it's the only one to, it's not the only one to be nominated. Several of his adaptations have been nominated sometimes for heavy hitting awards. Um, but this is the only one to actually receive one, uh, for Kathy Bates, which I'm sure we'll get into for likes, dislikes. Uh, although interestingly enough, okay, so yeah, there's a, there's a small little connection. I've been watching a lot of the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, just because I love it and, and I miss Mary Tyler Moore who has passed away earlier this year. So I've been watching a lot of it. Uh, it was the brainchild of Carl Reiner who is Rob Reiner's dad and actually Mary Tyler Moore campaigned to for the part of Annie Wilkes. Uh, she wanted wow. she wanted it. Um, and it, what an interesting and different film that would have been. Um, but uh, there was something that... I don't know if Stephen King had squashed it or if it just didn't quite work out, but Stephen King did say of some of the actresses who were vying for it, um, he was like, she, Annie Wilkes, by nature of who she is, can't be a petite figure. And I don't just mean by like physical appearance. I mean, like she can't, sure, sure. She can't be somebody she can't who can be feels, an ingenue. Yes. Right. It's got to be somebody who can can really uh, charismatically fill a room can somebody who can who can really uh, just steal the scene uh, which Kathy Bates does so wonderfully with her performance um, so he said she had to be a very a very big presence and had to really be able to devote a lot to because she had to feel like she could overpower Paul Sheldon as a as a person you know um, right, right. That, uh, I, I it's funny because even as i say this i don't want i don't want any of this to come off disrespectfully it's kind of necessary to the story that she be a very a very substantial presence in the room and uh one thing that i that i did find kind of interesting diverting from that a little bit after more than two decades of radio silence on the subject and constantly being asked about it king finally admitted that the book was a metaphorical exploration of his substance abuse. He had been asked about it wow. for, for many, many years, and he finally uh, admitted that 
Annie Wilkes is the personification of the drugs he struggled for so many years to overcome. And that she represented his many attempts, failed attempts to escape. Um, and then that's another reason why I find the ending of the book to be so beautiful is because then sure, when, sure. when Paul Sheldon is writing again, you know, that, that definitely represented uh, a liberation, a freedom for King. Uh, he's been he's been pretty candidly open uh, about his, his substance abuse and his struggles there. Um, but especially in the last uh, few years, uh, he's been more candid about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. One of the more sadder notes is that he says he has no memory of writing the book Cujo. Which I which I find really sad, um, but uh, but yeah. So Annie Wilkes is kind of the embodiment of that. Her uh, just overpowering presence, her constant being ahead of Paul Sheldon, the obsessiveness with it, and of course she represents all of his crazy fans, which he has in abundance. Um, but that's that's really all that I had in, in terms of trivial bits. I know that's quite a bit, but there's there's a lot to like and dislike about this film. I've been talking a while. Why don't you Why don't you give me some of your? There's not a lot to dislike about this film. Um, oh, I mean likes, dislikes. I mostly mean likes. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I love Richard Farnsworth. Oh, he's so great. It made me go. This is like such a random aside. So I referenced months ago on the podcast trying to watch the Netflix Anna Green Gables with my kids. And, right, right. And what a sort of misfire that was, um, mm. you know pet mice and all and <laughs> uh and seeing richard farnsworth just made me real warm and fuzzy for matthew cuthbert yeah. and it turns out sullivan entertainment you can't download or itunes does not carry any of those and movies but sullivan entertainment has their own streaming service that's just oh. for their material and you can join it and like purchase or rent through them so i haven't done that oh. yet. but it made me really but happy still. because for for super nerds like me who don't have like physical DVD anymore, I really wanted some means to share that with my kids. So, Richard Aww. Farnsworth for the win, um, yes, or for absolutely. the for the shotgun blast to the back of the gut. Um, oh my gosh! Yes. So I love him. I mean, I'm sure many, 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 many lines of text have been written about Kathy Bates' performance in this. Like she's 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 unreal. She's genius. Um, yeah, she really is. What I wrote down is like, she is so good at not, and then quotes here, acting crazy with three exclamation points. Like she just right, does not, right. she doesn't do it. She is just this person. And mm -hmm. yes, it is, yes. it is in itself terrifying. Even those moments when she explodes verbally, like it, it doesn't feel like a different character. No, it comes from a very organic doesn't, place. Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't feel put on. It doesn't feel, oh, watch her chew the scenery. And, oh, wasn't she so good? Uh, you know, like, right, it, is, right. it is a stellar performance. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I feel like, and, and all I wrote down was just Kathy, period, Bates, period. <laughs> like, right, that right. She, she owns this movie. I mean, and and uh, we alluded to it earlier. If listeners don't know or haven't picked up on it, the Academy Award that this won is she won for Best Actress. Um, right, and right. it is yeah, it is a performance that is staggering. It is really um, consistent. It is entirely believable. It is terrifying where it needs to be. It is nuanced and layered and tragic. And yes, it is. It is everything you would need for this uh, for this role to be. Um, 
I did I did make a note. I said she and John Goodman from Cloverfield Lane should get married and be the new American Gothic poster. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. Her with her little butcher knife and him right. with glove and his acid tub. Um, wow. Just, wow. Yes, they should just be the new the new American Gothic poster. Yes. Um, Tell me, so in the book, so, something I wrote down that I do love about the movie, but I don't know if this is the same way in the book. I, I kind of hope it is, but um, I love that the movie, it never turns overtly sexual. You know uh, I mean? No, no, exactly. And, yes. And, and I think, I honestly think that makes it even scarier because I feel like that's such an easy, such an easy narrative choice to go for. You know sure. what I mean? Like, of course, you, of course. you could so easily just be like, Oh, and then at this point in the movie, she comes on to him and suddenly it's just whole real gross, icky thing. Right. But it never goes that route, and it almost, because of that, makes it even more terrifying. I don't yes. know why. I don't know uh, why. Oh, yeah. And and that's one thing that I really appreciate, because the, I mean, the, the book toys with it a bit more than the movie does, but the book doesn't, by my memory, the book doesn't do that either. Uh, like, it's very much, she is enamored with him, obviously, in love with him, obviously, but it doesn't ever really go there. And right. And and that's kind of that's kind of refreshing to think about the fact that it doesn't really go there because she's got him prisoner like like right right it right easily right. could have but doesn't and I think it's a stronger book for that. Um, one of the things that I'll say, kind of uh, talking about that, um, but in general, overall, despite the violence, the film and I I think the book as well, but the film definitely is. I consider it to be actually one of the most approachable of Stephen King's works. Like it's, I can see that it's yep. it's it's just very simply entertaining, um, and it's a very st- it, the movie. So let me talk specifically about the movie. The movie is just this very straightforward popcorn thriller. Nearly every element works. Um, I mean, I was I remember thinking as I was watching this, and I think this is Rob Reiner's real skill as a director is he just knows how to make a film that a wide popular audience is going to absorb and just sort of go with the flow with um, and is very accessible is engaging on nearly every level every element works like I mentioned it's it's despite the dark story the dark narrative story like it's very brightly lit its cinematography is sure, pretty bright sure um, there's there's some dare I say picturesque inviting uh, and it's hysterical Yes, yes. Talk about that because I mean, yeah, it's so. Well, funny. I was just yeah. I mean, I, to to kind of to kind of follow your your litany of praise for Rob Reiner. I mean, for a for a movie that is genuinely horrific, like this wrong place, wrong time kind of scenario, the comedy is pitch perfect. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. I rem- I remember the first time I saw it and him typing the f bomb over and over on the typewriter. Oh, was hysterical. Yes. Uh- <laughs> uh, him giving her the bird when she waves to him all affectionately. Oh, it's just hysterical. And doesn't she, her, in that moment, doesn't she like, oh, you're such a kidder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, her line deliveries are just expert. I mean, yes. it is it is a master class in just, you know, being able to deliver comedic lines organically and, and just make them, make them sink home. Well, um, and you you mentioned if you weren't already going to mention this again, you you know teased that I was off making spam meatloaf. That they don't wink at the audience at all no, during no, that moment. No. They don't. Nobody turns. There's no gaff. There's no you know James Con turning to the camera like waga waga. Like it's just she's just like oh yeah, I put spam in it. It gives it that extra zip, and then it's just like 
the the moment is right? just there. Yep. Yep. It's, oh, it's it, it's well, really and, great. And part of it is because you know his character really does serve. While while I agree with you, he doesn't go over the top, and it's not meant to be. He really is kind of the eyes of the audience on her. You yes, know, like absolutely. Really kind of commentary and that sort of thing. Another bit of comedic business that I find hysterical, um, just because it seems so Looney Tunes, like, I mean, actual, actual, the ca- cartoon Looney Tunes <laughs> is when, uh, Buster, Richard Farnsworth and she are squaring off in the hallway. Down oh, the hall yes, from each other. Yes. Just this like triple take. Yeah. Of, of <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> she she ducks away, the backs right back in. Yeah, and he's like, "What? Yeah. What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's really really great. And I think that's I think that is the humor is attributable to why I think the film is so endearing and enduring is that uh, it does have those it does have those elements. And I think that's something that again Rob Reiner just has instinctive as a director that he know he knows what an audience is going to connect with and and uh, wraps the tissues for us. I will say. Uh, two moments that are devastating for me. So they wouldn't be dislikes because they are necessary for the film. They work really well. They just break my heart. Uh, the first that I'll mention is just Buster's death. Oh. Abs- absolutely breaks my heart because a like we've already said, it's Richard Farnsworth. How can you not love that guy? Like, like I know, I know. He's just so eminently lovable. And so when he when when he goes out when he dies, um, it is just heartbreaking. But you know it's something that King does often. Like I'm thinking about it, and he has at least a handful of books where you have the guy who's supposed to, who you as the audience think is going to show up and save the day. Like he's going to show up, he's going to figure everything out. Now everything's going to be fine. He King often has them show up only to get taken out. Like, only right, to get killed. Right, right. And uh, the other most overt example I can think of is uh, The Shining with Halloran. Um, Halloran doesn't die in that book, but he shows up only to just get completely taken out. Um, but the uh, he dies in the movie, though. <laughs> Axe to the chest will do it every time. Uh, the other thing that I was going to say is uh, the, uh, the scene where Annie makes Paul burn untitled. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as a, that's rough. As a as a writer, you as a creative, I know you understand this as well. Um, as a writer, I I could not I, I could not not feel that moment um, right, of like right. I have just I n- there's no other copy of this. There's nothing else. I have put all my time, blood, sweat, imagination, effort into this, and now I've got to burn it, and it's going to be gone forever because this this crazy woman. Uh, has this obsession with me? It's it's devastating. It's a really heartbreaking. Uh, but again, as I said, necessary for the film, necessary for the story, just breaks my heart. But but see, I think what's fascinating about both of those elements is as cutting as they are. You know, some so many movies, so many stories we watch, and we just kind of glide through the experience of watching it because it's all plot and it's all just you know this has to happen so the transformers can save earth the 50th time and blah 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 you know like it just it we don't the stakes don't feel real and both of those moments why they land so well is because they're utterly and absolutely rooted in those characters i mean the moment when she is encouraging him to do that he's so good at playing the poker face but you see it i mean he is yeah Mm -hmm. devastated and like angling for any purchase 
he can find to sort of wriggle out of this. And it's just not there to be found. Right. Um, Absolutely. And I think, I think what's so, what's so heartrending about Buster's passing one. And I, I, you know, I am enough of a King reader to know, don't get too attached uh, to characters, but <laughs> that's true. But to your point about this being a Rob Reiner feature, like it is accessible. It is, it is a very broad or, or, or meant to have sort of broad accessibility. And so that, on a pure technical level, it feels even more of a loss when you lose yeah. Buster. But also, like, they do such a good job. His relationship with the wife is so excellent oh, and lovely. Yeah. And so, like, that is one of few off the top of my head in this immediate moment. I can't think of a character death. Honestly, what just came to me was Boromir. But even that mm. has resonance and he gets a send off. And the story is allowed to proceed due to his contributions to it. Like, right when right. Richard Farnsworth dies, when Buster dies, like, you don't get, you're not allowed a moment to breathe and kind of grieve a little bit, but you right. feel it. Right. And that's what's really powerful yeah. about that moment. You're like, oh, 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 oh but I just, you just, where, oh. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's this very yeah. real, like, yeah. visceral feeling that I, even knowing it was coming the second time, I just kind of have to shut my emotional center off a little bit so that I just know, okay, I mean, we're not going to get any sort of resolution to him. So I know that. So it just happens. And oh, poor cold one out for, for Buster. (laughs) Yeah. For old Buster. Well, have you heard, uh, I'm just going to ruin the whole book for you. You know, that it's, that that's different in the book that it's, that that the death, the death is different in the book. Uh, so do you want me to tell you? Yeah, sure. In, in the book, uh, very similarly, he leaves the house, and then in the book, uh, he, Paul Sheldon like chucks an ashtray out the window, and when uh. he chucks an ashtray out the window, that's what gets the cop's attention. Cop turns around, she's right there, stabs him, and when she stabs him, he goes down, and he's like, he's immobilized, and the woman runs over him with a lawnmower. Oh, my God. Yes. Jeez. And, but here's what's... Here's what's so the reason Rob Reiner changed it was not just for like, I, I can't even imagine like a character on right, screen. Right, right, by right, right. But the reason he changed it is on record as saying he thought it would look silly and people would laugh at it. And I'm like, I, yeah, I can see that. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like, it's, it's like too over the top. Um, but as it is to your point, like Buster, do you think he's about to save the day? You're like, Oh, I know. Man, he's right yeah, there. Yeah, you're going to save the day. Yeah. And then bam, shotgun blast to yep. the chest. And then and it's like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that. That's part of what, like, the rug literally just gets yanked out from under you about him coming in to save the day. So, yeah, there's a couple of things that are, so the narrative and the plot are basically the same, but like in moments like that, there are a couple of things that are just that much more extreme in the book than they are in the film for, sure. for necessary reasons. Uh, in fact, that might be a good segue into scares. Um, Let's do uh, it. So, I know this is on your list. So I'm going to let you say it, and then I'm going to tell what it was in the book. So uh, I'm just going to say one word. Hobbling. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. <laughs> I mean, like... You didn't see it? No. Well, I mean, uh, everything... I watched everything but the physical shot of the foot getting maimed, you know? Yeah. Um, just because... I, I don't know. There are moments where I'm like, I, I don't need to watch I that. <laughs> I, I, I don't I've seen that in my brain. I've seen it once before. I know what's happening. I don't yes. really need to see that image. So, yes. no. Yes. So, uh, so that's number one with a bullet on my scares list, but it is even or with worse. a sledgehammer. Well, yeah, it is even worse in the book. I'll spare you the gory details, but I'll just say in the 
in the movie, she's got a sledgehammer. In the book, she's got an axe. I'll just leave it at that. Same, same well, scene you know happens. What's funny? But you know what's funny about you saying that? Does she take both of them? No, just one of them. She just takes one. Well, what's funny about you saying that is... I don't know if it was iTunes or Amazon. There's cover art that has a dismembered foot in a typewriter. Have you seen this cover art? Oh, I haven't. I haven't. Wow. And so even watching it, I remembered it purely as a sledgehammer hobbling. But then I was right. like, it's like my it's like my brain was trying to fabricate. Wait, do does she cut his foot off? Because I remembered seeing the image. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, yeah she does I mean, in the, the book. Yeah, right, it, right. So, so whatever that cover art is, it I don't know if they just transposed it from a book edition or what, but maybe, maybe. Uh, anyway, Cause, anyway, cause, so yeah, yeah that, in, that makes sense. In the book, she only takes the she only takes the one foot, but yeah, she she takes it completely off. Like he doesn't he does not have a foot after she's done with him, which is ugh. um. So yeah, that scene's number one for my for my thing, and I would just say like the moment that she first finds out that he has killed the misery character her freak out scared the crap out of me like which one is that remind me what's physically it's, happening. it's the very first one where like she says to him i know everything's going pretty smoothly but then she says to him like oh i'm almost at the end i'm gonna finish it tonight i gotta go and i gotta see which one she's gonna marry and blah 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 and then it's like nighttime he's just dozed off to sleep and all of a sudden he hears the door opening she's just standing there and when she's standing there uh you know it's it's dark and she's like you you know i said you were good you're not good you know and like she picks up that that little chair and like oh yeah yeah, yeah, starts to you know she's gonna to smash it she winds up smashing it against the wall but um yeah it is really scary because that's the first moment of like we've seen the the swearing thing she objected to the swearing but then uh to see her reaction to misery's death and then that's the moment that she tells him i never i never called your agent i never called your daughter like right, nobody right. knows oh, you're yeah, here yeah, yeah. and you better hope nothing happens to me because if i die you die i mean it is like oh my gosh that is a terrifying well, moment you, you kind of glossed over it but i i would put on the list of scares is is that explosion about the profanity because oh duty yeah well because <laughs> up until then you know something's off like sure just sure again it's an accessible thriller so clearly we're meant to anticipate something sinister but that correct me if i'm wrong but i think chronologically that's the first real glaring indication yes. um okay we're not dealing with a full deck of cards here you yes, know <laughs> that is it, it definitely is yeah um, i think one of my one of my most uh uh unnerving ones um was the lighter fluid on the bed i mean oh yes when she yes. when she pours it on the the grill with the script or the you know the um manuscript and right right and then it's just real kind of blase splashing it onto the bed. Like, oh my gosh, this is so nerve wracking. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I completely agree. She is, we, you know, we talked last week with Blair Witch Project about its its creation of dread. Um, she is a dread machine. 
Like anytime yes. she's in the room, it's just kind of like, uh, like how tense is that moment where he's like, no, smudge the paper. You know, it's caressable bond. It, it smudges. And then like shows her and she still goes off on him. Like, yes. oh man, it's terrifying. Yeah. She's again, credit to Kathy Bates performance. Uh, but, but yeah, there's a lot of tension that, that is built into those scenes, uh, where you just are never quite sure what she's going to do next. I've got a couple others on the yeah. stair list. Do you have more? No, no, no. That's that's it for me. Oh, so go okay. ahead. Um, one I love this line in almost any other movie does not work. It just doesn't. But the context, the performance, the delivery makes it work. Um, and that line is, "My little ceramic penguin in the study always faces due south." <laughs> you know, because yes. you're like, yes, because oh. that just that's a. Any in in any other context out of any other actor's mouth, that line does not work. Yep, because it's yep. such a almost Deus ex machina. It's like, okay, right. how are we right. going? How are we going to close the gap here between her not her being gone and him being out to sure. for her to know? Yeah, and he puts the thing back, and you're like, oh, whew, the penguin's back. And then, uh, no, Paul, it faces due south. You know, oh, and it's oh like, yes, yes. Oh my god, this is awful. <laughs> She's a monster. Run and hide, but you can't because you're missing a foot. Um, <laughs> right. Oh, man. I I will say I had forgotten this about the story because it's really just kind of honestly all it really serves in the movie. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but all it really serves in the movie is getting Buster connecting the dots. Mm. Um, but I, what I wrote down is baby killer Annie. I mean, oh, that's a, yes. Yes. That's a pretty dark, pretty dark turn there. I mean, yeah. it's. Yeah, I I, res- I respect the desire to motivate the character a bit, but yeah, that was yeah, that was it's a lot. it's pretty it's pretty twisted, and that's even the connective tissue that brings Buster into it. You know that whole conviction and and right, that's uh, what I'm saying. To I, it. I I think all it for me, that's why I would almost say it's it's almost a little too much because it feels like it just serves the function of getting Buster connected to it. That's oh, I see saying. what you mean. Yes, yes. Um, it feels more utilitarian. Yeah. Yes, gotcha. yes. Yes. My very, my very last one, and it legitimately made me yelp like a Paul <laughs> Sheldon getting hobbled. Um, <laughs> is I had totally forgotten. So the 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 final conflict happens um, in the bedroom where he typewriters are on the head. Oh yeah. And then when he, when he's crawling out of the room. Oh yes. I was oh. not I was not ready for her to leap back onto him. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it was that was rough. Oh my gosh. That is a that is a horrific scene. The and, and um Kathy Bates was kind of upset by the violence in that scene. Like really? to, to the degree that when the yeah, that that leading up to the filming of those shots and um following them, she was she was kind of visibly upset. Rob Reiner uh who is has a tremendous reputation for a very sensitive, caring director. Uh, like he, anybody who's worked with him, know like he, he's just a very, just generally sounds like a really good guy and is very sensitive to people's needs and their their uh, comfort levels. And so he he handled her very sensitively and caringly. But yeah, she was she was visibly upset by having to to do those scenes because of how violent they were. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 
I mean, just nerve wracking. The the and it's it's also kind of sloppy. Like the whole wrestling right. thing yeah, is, yeah, is just yeah. kind of sloppy. And you're not and I'm not you're not quite sure when he you know brains her in the face with the uh, with right. the little pig the iron or whatever that is. Oh, uh, oh right. Yeah, because he attacks her a couple of times with a typewriter, and then he gets sure. that little that little anvil thing, whatever it is. Uh, you're not quite sure she's gone. And right. uh, so then it just you know sort of cuts away to you know I guess X amount of months or years later, um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it, that's a jarring scene because you're not quite sure if it's over and done with, which I think is part of the point because then she shows up at the restaurant as a vision sure. of him, you know, for for him. Right. Um, I th- one, have- one very last one very last scene I want to add to the mix because talking about the lighting the manuscript on fire scene. Um, uh, the the dinner sequence. Oh he yes. Invites her to dinner. Oh man, that's yes. That is rough because because oh, even in my head, having seen the movie, I couldn't remember that she knocks the glass over. Oh yeah. And I was like, I know this is not going to be resolved here, but I can't remember how this. Oh, there it is. That's how. Yep. You know, yeah. it was like, oh man, that's painful. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so I mean, if, if that's all we have in ways of scares, we we can dive right into themes. Uh, what did you have by way of by way of thematic substance? Um, the primary one was just always look at your weather app before you go driving. Yeah. <laughs> just like like just don't man, just get to stay in, stay inside. Yes, yes. yes I yes. know it's 1990, and weather apps are a thing of a far flung sci fi future, but you know, make it happen for yourself. Yes, um, indeed. I don't know. I, I think that uh, it's not like fully formed, but it, it is interesting. I, I I think I probably read at some point what you made reference to earlier about King's the the drug element and her being this yeah, manifestation right. of that. Like I think I probably read that before. But even just watching it, what is sad and scary about this story is she's not so over the top that I don't believe this person can exist. Like you were saying earlier. Right. So she no longer functions purely as just like metaphor. Right. She's not just right. Right. Your, your brain on drugs. Um, right. Right. So what I wrote down is just fan entitlement. And you and I have flirted with this kind of conversation Mm, over the last year, a couple of times, dude, what I wrote down is Annie Wilkes is the modern internet in character form. Um, yes, she is a walking rotten tomato. She is caustic and rancorous and full of herself and ignorant and believes everything that she wants should be hers. Yes. And, and I don't know, man, that's almost what made it more terrifying is how sort of, um, I think I used this word last week is how prescient it is. It's like, we, we, that's, this is the culture we live in right now. Is yes. yes you creator person who made that one thing that did you see this? Um, I don't watch this show at all. But Dan Harmon, who was the community creator, which oh, I didn't yeah. watch that either, yeah. though I've heard a lot of good things, made Rick and Morty. I think that's the name of his right. show. Right. Yes. And talk about fan entitlement here. Some idiots that occupy the dark corners of of the internet um, learned because Harmon celebrated that there one of the primary head writers on a Rick and Morty episode was a, a woman mm, mm-hmm. and the the internet lost its you know lost its cockadoodie mind <laughs> over the the people who love this show are these little basement dwellers 
and went nuts over the fact that it was a woman and and it's it's you and i've talked about it during unfriended like just this weird misogynistic wow. thing that right like and and Harmon went to town on these people oh like, great saying, that's awesome you 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 know I, I don't even want you watching my material um but acknowledging like i once it's released into the wild i can't kind of control who is watching it um, sure, i wish i right. could because these guys would have nothing to do with it but again it's that entitlement it's that Right. It's 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 Annie Wilkes saying, uh, no, you don't get to do that to misery. It's like Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh exactly. How many how many creative folk, and probably it's a huge percentage, who have birthed something substantive, either popcorn like misery is in that world, you know, I mean it's right, it's right. it's clearly not something of deep substance creatively, but it is something that's gained him notoriety and a career right, and all that sort right. of stuff. So either on that side of the coin or something that's real substantive and, and rich gain these followers who somehow think that they can dictate what the final result is going to be. Right. It's just a strange, strange world we're living in right now with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. So I had a, I had a similar uh, thing. I'm going to, I'm going to take your, your observation about fan entitlement. I'm going to take it one step further, but quick diversion that I don't normally do in the middle of themes, but I had no idea you were going to bring this up and I can't miss the opportunity. Do you know my connection to Dan Harmon? Is this? uh, No, I don't know your connection. I know Dan Harmon. No, I don't. Dan Harmon, my friend is in Dick Richards. Like, like what? I'm, I'm blowing your mind right now. Our audience doesn't even know what Dick Richards is. We'll tell you some other time. But Dan Harmon. It's it's in that movie Cube. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dan Harmon uh, and a guy named Rob Schraub uh, started Channel 101, which is for who the, right, the creative right. team I was involved in that made Dick Richards. They started Channel 101 and uh, more so friends with, with my buddy Morgan uh, was the connection there. Morgan uh, asked them if they wanted to be involved in our little short and they said yes. And so I've actually shared an IMDb credit with Dan Harmon. <laughs> like, he would never remember bonkers. me. Yeah, I right, mean, right, like, right. like it's it, true story. Everybody can look it up right now and see if I'm lying. You're but, pretty forgettable. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he, yeah, I am pretty forgettable. It's true. Um, no, you're not but, at all. Uh, I was just playing with you. But, uh, but yeah, I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't jealous, pass up the opportunity because I hadn't six degrees. <laughs> <laughs> um, I couldn't pass up the opportunity though for you bringing him up. I'm like, oh yeah, uh, I, I don't have very many IMDb credits, but one of them is with Dan Harmon. So I just, had that's, to, I just that's had crazy. To um, but I actually, I actually really love the uh, the the story that you just told, and I didn't know it about the Rick and Morty thing. But even more so than that, so that 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 bleeds right into what I was going to say. And I know we've already been going a little while here; we won't take too much time with this. But fan entitlement not only goes to the extent of you have to do with the story, or you have to do with the material, what we say you have to do with it. But like you just mentioned about people losing their cockadoodie minds over the Rick and Morty thing. Uh, and, and a woman writer being part of it is then it extends to fan entitlement then extends to people it then inst- and and here's what I wrote down and this language is going to little sound a little harsh but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back it up it's almost as if our entitlement allows us to enslave these creatives in our in, in, in I'm going to uh, you know take on the persona of the of the the rabid number one fan that we almost sort of conscript them and enslave them in like you do what we want. Do you remember that when, so I just finished all of the series of game of Thrones. I watched all of it and it's wonderful and I love it. 
but there's much ado about the fact that the next book, uh, Martin hasn't written it, and he's like right, two right, or three right. years late, you know, uh, for having written it, maybe even longer than that. But, you know, so there's a lot of fans like, hey, you got to write this, hey, you got to get the, you know, got to get this out. And I know that a number of writers, Neil Gaiman at the top of the list, but I know a number of other writers basically came to Martin's defense. Um, I'm not quoting them verbatim, but the basic attitude was, hey, you know, Martin's not your puppet. Like, you know that George R.R. Martin is not your slave to just, he's not somebody that because you've bought his books or because he is a creative mind, that he's just some dancing monkey you can then just just trounce around. I use that because it's one of the most overt examples. I don't think George R.R. Martin has danced in a mini a moon. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it is. It has been. It has been a few. uh, It's been a minute. Um, Yes. But last the last winter of Winterfell. uh, (laughs) But. But I was thinking about this idea, the, the, the sort of the slavery of enablement that like because we position them. I mean, how many times have you heard not just in the creative profession, but how many times have you heard the argument about public officials or city officials? Hey, I pay your salary. You make millions of dollars because right. of me. So so therefore you should behave this way. Therefore you should act this way. Therefore you should do this thing. And when I was watching Misery and I hear Annie Wilkes telling Paul, "Hey, I feed you, I clothe you, I dress you. You're alive because of me." So essentially, because I've done these things for you that enable these other conditions or because I've rescued you or because I've made you possible now, I am therefore entitled to every bit of you. To your creative output, right, right. to to burn the book that is this personal project for you, and then demand a book you specifically never wanted to write. You know, you know, I'm gonna and, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw in here because it's I think it's going to be relative to what you're saying and where you're going. Um, we're kind of flirting on the fringes here. Some some a personality you and I are both deeply affectionate of, but would perfectly fit this is Lindelof, Damon Lindelof at oh, the end yes, of Lost. Yes, ab- absolutely, is, absolutely is is, is, is a is a person on Twitter at that time and engages fans. And yes. the dude had to go to therapy because the yeah. entitled yeah. fandom that were disheartened with not, I'm not even disheartened is too kind a phrase um, who were cockaduties about how lost right. ended. Exactly. Um, Cause they're idiots, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, yes. uh, just steamrolled him online. And he's, uh, and this, I really think highly of him, but you know, he's a sensitive creative person and took it all to heart and it really yeah. jacked him up for a number of years anyway just re again reiterating what you're kind of going for oh, there, i think it, i think i think it fits in perfectly because like you know I, I, as you already know and i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to make this all this episode all about like hey let me tell my credentials and everything but i've had the, i've had the wow. privilege of getting to meet lindelof wow He's, I it's know, happening I know. it's happening it, right it now is. this is where i just start the, the podcast from here on out is just going to be the name drops right you know? right that's that's all it is i'm that guy side note i'm that guy who like <laughs> who like never wants to tell these stories because nobody will believe them like i never want to tell right. these stories because people are like oh, you don't do that fake You're just news Fake but, I'm, news. <laughs> but I'm just like, no, there's photographs, there's evidence, like, the, I'm, I'm telling the truth here. But um, the reason I, s- I only bring that up is because he's terribly generous. Like, I, I'll right, share this right. one little anecdote is like, you know, I said, I love your work, uh, Mr. Lindelof. And I said, I'm allowed to say that, right? And he said, only if you call me Damon. Like, just a very, you know, just open-hearted, right, open-handed, right, right. like, just, hey, yeah, you're my fans and I love you and, and I'm glad you love my work and all this other sort of stuff. So it's such a shame that that attitude and that mindset gets just 
pummeled by people who feel very entitled to certain things because they invested in this creative property, they invested their time into as an audience member. So they think that just like Annie Wilkes thinks like, hey, no, you can't kill my misery character. You can't do that. This is why I think the ending of the story is so perfect. It is so perfect is because she thinks she's about to be handed everything that she wants on a silver platter. But Paul Sheldon is like, yeah, all this all this stuff right here. Yeah, the big mysteries, the answers that you want solved. It's all right here. And then just lights it ablaze right in front of her. I think that is a absolutely perfect ending for all of that. Sure. You'll. Yeah, it's one of the best things I've ever written, and you'll never read a word. You'll never read it, you know? And it's like this big breaking free. It's this big sort of like, no, I will not be I will not be that. Because here's the other side of the coin, is that we as creatives can be a little needy and can sure. be a little, uh, can be, we, we can want the approval a little bit. We can want the fandom. We can want the, hey, I want people to like what I'm doing. I think most creatives are like that, that they're, they're, they're kind of, insecure at some roots uh that's part of why they do what they do uh yeah they can put on a persona of i just don't i really mean get you did just name drop dan Harmon and damon lindelof in the span <laughs> of 10 minutes so you know <laughs> i'm that guy ask me sometime about the time i signed comic books with walter, walter koenig and then, oh my uh, gosh. and then will wheaton asked me for my autograph you know ask me that story wow that wow um <laughs> <laughs> so no so sincerely uh like getting back to this whole idea of like fan entitlement and that kind of stuff like th- that is the thing is that creatives kind of need that paul sheldon when he's asking her he wants her feedback he wants it you know and she's saying like well there's just one thing and then he tells her no 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 what is it tell me i can take it this is before the swearing tirade so right, he's like, right, no, no, right. no, i want you to tell me what you think about it i'm trying and we, as the audience, know he's trying to be a serious writer. He's trying to branch out. He's trying to expand his horizons and his credentials. And then she delivers back this just gut punch of like nitpicking him over the swearing. Nit- and, right, and, right, and, right. And it's such a pitch perfect moment because that's the thing. The creatives, the the artists, want to know like, hey, how did it make you feel? What did it make you sure? Think? What yep, worked about yep, it? What yep, didn't work yep. about it? And the fans are sitting there like, their clothes should be this. They should sure, you should have sure. cast this person. This, uh, you know, it should be this way. Too much swearing. Too much this. Not enough this. And so they're nitpicking over that other stuff. And it's a pitch perfect example of the kind of thing that just devastates a creative. It's like, man, I'm I'm sitting here tr- striving for this this big new grand thing and you're just nitpicking over the details and i mean we could this is a kind of an odd sort of theme for us to to drill down on because it doesn't necessarily feel very theologically resonant but man let me tell you what it makes me think of in the broader scope of things is how many times do you see either over the internet or in people's homes and people's conversations people nitpicking to death over stuff that does not matter. Right. That couldn't right, matter right. any less. And they're just all hung up over this one little thing like, oh, well, you know what? And so so we're sitting here thinking like, hey, there are big sweeping grand things to be to be attentive to and you're, you're nitpicking you're, over this ugh, I know. Thing. You're making you're making me think of this this is gonna seem like a random story, but um that time that I met Prince the artist i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i never met prince i just wanted to feel like i was met people story Um, met people no so around the time of the first avengers film which um 
you know, isn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but four was, was a real high watermark for people's expectations. And what we ended up getting was this culmination of all those solo films. Uh, it was Joss right, Whedon. Right. It was humorous. It was action packed, blah, blah, blah. It made huge right, right. gangbusters. And I had at the time, we're not really actually in contact really anymore, but, um, a, a fellow kind of nerd, comic nerd who, after seeing it was like, well, it didn't have, uh, Hank Pym and, and, and Janet, <laughs> uh, in it, the right, a, a right. giant man and the wasp. And I was like, did you, did you watch the movie? Like <laughs> it was this feeling, it was such a weird feeling to me. And this is maybe before the massive level of scrutiny and microscoping we do on every single stupid thing. But right, right. I just remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, man, we've waited decades for a, a fun, but serious, well cast, well executed, well produced, organically delivered comic movie that is now doing insane numbers and is not a cynical piece of, right you know, retread material and ends at the time ends with Thanos. And you're like, yeah, but they didn't have Hank Pym. Right. I was like, Oh right. my gosh, how yeah. is that your takeaway? Right. But, exactly. You know, take the theological resonance and apply that to life. It's like, Oh, yes. look at this beautiful thing. And, and the Lord did this in my life or look at that sunrise. Yeah. Right. But it's kind right. of cold out here. It's like, Oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, well, and, and yeah, that's like, Hey, look at these big, look at these big sweeping things that are happening all around us. But, right. but you better not dare like, say a curse word or interpret that one Bible verse wrong or <laughs> right, this, right. You know, like, like you better not dare do any of those things because then that suddenly becomes the conversation. And that's, what's so frustrating about this idea of we, we as people, and I say we, because you and I are guilty of it too. Um, one thing that I'll say, uh, you know, we could be accused by somebody sitting there like, well, yeah, but didn't you guys get, don't you guys kind of do that whenever Batman versus Superman comes up or don't you, you know, isn't that kind of your thing there? <laughs> I, I will say this: I don't have to. I don't have to like it. I don't have to like right, something. Right, like, right, like, right, right. Like, I don't have to like what you do, but I do think it would be wrong of me to take a generally good work. Like, if I responded to it on most levels, or it was possible for me to respond to it on most levels, and then me be like, "Well, but they didn't do this, so they didn't do this one thing." Like anybody who would be like, "Yeah, Man of Steel was great until he did that one thing," I was like, "Well, then." Then something might be a little off. Maybe that one thing just right, bothered right, you kind right. of too much, you know. But uh, so, so anymore, people want you on one side or the other. They either want you whole hog, like, hey, you love this, you invest in this, you have to adore it, you have to do this, because that's the other way fan entitlement works as well. Is it's not just on the artists; it is also on other fans of the right, material. Right, 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 right. You have to feel a certain way. You have to be a certain thing. And that resonates as well. I know we need to wind this conversation down. So I'll, I'll say this and then I think I'll be done. That also is how people will make you feel about uh, something that you're exploring either personally, philosophically, theologically, or something like that. There's no like inviting and engaging. It's all right. just like, no, you. It, it's got to be this, this, this. And if it's not this, 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 then you're wrong and sit down and shut up. And that's the well, way people treat it. And in the spirit of that, you know, and again, these these anecdotes you can apply to broader theological application. But I've often thought for a number of years now with the state of 
fandom how there's this weird thing that I doubt the collective fandom would would use this language for it, but but this is how I perceive it is well, if it's not perfect, then right. it is thus garbage. Right. And holds no value whatsoever. And and it's this weird like that's an impossible scenario. There is exactly. no thing there is no thing perfect. You and, and this is you and I talk about this a lot, but you know, off the podcast for years and, and occasionally on it, of like, what is the work itself? What is the thing itself? Take that on its merits or or it's not merits. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not suggesting you're not allowed to scrutinize or not allowed to be discerning. What happens in entitlement mentality is that discernment isn't even part of the conversation. It's simply right. selfishness. It is simply me, 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 what I want, what my expectations are. Like, you know, we talked about this last year with Unfriended, but... And I didn't even really honestly like the movie, but the Paul Feige Ghostbusters or Paul Feige Ghostbusters. Oh, right, right. And the right. level of vitriol it got. Like, yeah, the bile spewed at that was just come absurd. Come on. Yeah. You know, yeah. again, I, kind I, of I don't enjoyed be, it. I didn't love it, but I kind of enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if, yeah, whatever. Um, but I, the point I'm trying to make isn't let's just dial in on every little piece of media and, you know, and make blanket passes for it. I'm simply saying, like, there's this strange phenomena that is a thing of the spirit. Let's be honest. Mm. It yes. is a thing of the spirit that positions you as a, an infallible authority mm. and B unwilling, potentially at a point unable to just find the good. My gosh. Right. Right. And that's a scary disposition yes um you yeah. know and 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 you flirted with this in some of your language a minute ago but and and you and i beat this drum often and i think this is all connected but this sort of binary idea of well are you this or are you that right pass or fail right yeah um well to be a Christian means X, Y, and Z. Mm. And these, and, and the X, Y, and Z in that scenario are these really strict interpretive, cultural, traditional versions of quote unquote, what it means to be a Christian. So, you know, by certain metrics, I would probably not pass that test Mm. by most, by some of metrics, Jesus Christ himself doesn't pass the test. (laughs) And I think that's just where, Right. The requirement, the requirement, the, the calling is to say, yeah, be discerning, have, have an eye that sort of challenges and questions and wonders and occasionally calls out things that ought not be, but the capacity for that to be your default position Right. Over, over and against the ability and the willingness and the desire. You have to desire to find good and to Mm -hmm. see good and to acknowledge good and to call a thing good. Exactly. And that old video game lemmings, I'm just picturing just this entire culture just running towards a cliff because we, because we are just like caught up in our own entitlement in our own rigid view and aren't 
intentionally and openly and forcing ourselves to turn around and say, well, wait a minute, there is, there is good here and there is beauty in the land. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. Okay, man, we are. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Just, no, no, no. I, I, well, I have, I have three real quick things to say and then, yep. uh, I, then, then we should stop it because we've already, we could talk about this for two more hours. Um, first thing I'll say is let's not forget. We're talking about all of this sort of like, you know, resonating it back to the theology element of it <clears throat> in the narrative of the movie. Annie Wilkes says, God speaks to her and tells yeah. her these things yep. and, that, yep. and that she, and yep. so she invokes, yep divine intention behind some of the things that she does and uh, and that's terrifying oh i'm in and of itself I'm, i am i am right now willfully resisting going headline with some things that are happening in the world right now but yes yes i know i know what yeah you're saying. yeah and and i yeah i could easily i could easily go down the same path um the the second thing that i want to do is bring in the scripture verse that i had sort of noted for this um this is going to seem a little far afield, but but then my third thing should hopefully drive it home. So Galatians 5.1 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul is talking very contextually about the problem of sin. But he says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I think in the context of what we're talking about, we're talking about entitlement. Here's what I will say. I think entitlement as an attitude is slavery. And I don't just mean that you are enslaving someone else. When you feel entitled, when you feel like you deserve something simply because you want it and you feel some degree of vestment in it and that therefore you are entitled to that thing, I feel like you start to view people as possessions that you uh, need to obtain and control. And I think that is a slavery mindset. That's not a free right, mindset. Right, right. That's a mindset where you, where even your own decisions are, you are at the whim of your own desires and your own reactions to things. You can't think about something objectively. You can't get out of your own head. You are stuck in the details. And that is lunacy. That's the madhouse. And I think that if we are willing to take a step back and and recognize the verse says that why did Christ set us free for freedom, which sounds circular, but it's it's honestly it's like he set us free so that we could be free because right, right, because right. this is a um, this is bad to put on a yoke of slavery for yourself is a bad thing and that's why Christ has set us free. I think that it is one of the most subtle and deceptive acts of slavery uh, in our culture today is this idea of of entitlement that i i am owed this simply because i want this um, right and right. that's that's very specifically what we're talking about it's easiest to understand it in the fan celebrity culture but it is it extends to other places as well um just look at misery through the lens of you know listeners uh watch misery with the lens of people demanding hey i pay your salary i do this thing for you i make you who you are so therefore dance monkey dance and if you view it in that substitute any arena that you want to that is you yourself are putting on and burdening yourself with a yoke of slavery to to take on that mindset um Rather, we must try to break free from that and recognize uh, the inherent value and, like you were saying extensively, the inherent goodness present in the things around us. Um, I'll end with this. I I know I keep saying I'm ending. I'll end with this. Uh, 
I, I made a Facebook post not that long ago. I think I referenced this in another episode. Um, if there's anything that I know about Christians engaging with pop culture, it's I've learned this. Some folks are always seeing the work of the devil, and some folks are always seeing the work of the Lord. That some people are always finding the bad, and some people are always finding the good. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave that statement where it is. Some people are just framed towards finding what's wrong, and some people are just framed towards finding what's right. And if I could compel you to anything, think on what's good. Think on, think on the things towards what is good. Is, is that the... Um is that the advice Bill Gates gave you when y'all hung out? I mean, is that? No, I have I have yet no. to hang out with Bill Gates. Yeah, okay. Melinda though. Yeah, Melinda. <laughs> okay, right, right. I was um, just I was just I making funny as um, awesome. Well, read this is volume two of hashtag I love the nineties and what a good conversation, what a good year, what a good podcast we have, what a good, what a good. What a good audience we have. You guys are awesome. We really appreciate We've you. We've got great listeners, and, and, and we adore you. Um, so getting close to the end here, we want to make sure we take some time to welcome our good friend, David S. Pumpkins, back into the conversation. <laughs> David S. Pumpkins, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah. Any questions? You know, here, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thanks for helping me out there. So as if you've listened to us, even one episode, um, you probably know that um, we measure every movie. We rate every movie we watch on a very unique, very amazing metric of numbers of David S. Pumpkins in three specific categories. Those categories being style, scares, and substance. It's sort of a zero to five, and then we're going to aggregate them and give one grade of numbers of David S. Pumpkins, specifically about today, Rob Reiner's Misery. So, read um, for Misery... On the David S. Pumpkin scale, what would you give style for you? It's it's an easy four point five. Uh, I'm almost tempted right. to give it a five because I, I I like it so much, but um, but yeah, four point five sort of just more feels right. I don't even really quite know how to quantify it, but but yeah, four and a half for me. Okay, I can I can dig that. Um, I think for me, I would probably land at a four. Um, I love so much about it, the production value doesn't quite hold up in places if that makes any sense um, sure i understand and so you know it's just it's got a very you know as you said a little while ago just this very kind of 90s early 90s vibe to the production quality um so for that might ding it a little bit just in terms of holding up so yeah i'm gonna go with a four um for me i will start with scares annie wilkes is a force of nature oh yeah, yeah. so i I think I'm going to go a solid four on scares for misery. I will see your four and I will call you with another four because I, I completely agree. I, you know, it's like part of me also wants to give, cause I love this movie. So part of me wants to sort of bump it up a little bit, but again, four just kind of feels right. Again, it's a little brighter. It's, it's pretty accessible. The humor sort of offsets the fear factor a little bit, but Annie Wilkes is definitely a, a creepy character and one of the most compelling characters in all of King's catalog. So uh, four for me as well. Awesome. Uh, very last category here. Um, so we've done style. We've done scares. How about substance for you, Reed? What, what does this movie speak to you in terms of substance? I'm going to land on a four for substance as well. Um, I feel like 
knowing the metaphor that it meant to Stephen King, uh, it, it'd be easy to want to bump that up a little bit. But uh, but I feel like it, it is a it's a solid uh, story and it has a lot of thematic resonance. Um, not quite to that upper level where there's just you know a multitude of different subjects in it. It is very focused on on this one or two few things. Um, so for that reason, I give it a four. Awesome. Like you with scares, I think I am going to see your four and give a four myself. I mean, I do think many, many of the movies we talk about, we extrapolate a real specific kernel from it and just kind of go running. Um, I do think there's actually a lot going on here. Um, and I mean, definitely King's, uh, acknowledgement of sort of the drug aspect does raise the game a good bit on what's actually going on in the film or sure. in the book and, and subsequently in the film. Um, so yeah, I, I really think that four is merited, not just because of where our conversation went, but also just the film itself. So yeah, that's where I'm going to land. Sure. Um, all right. And so that brings us to, uh, like last week's Blair Witch Project, maybe all of our hashtag I love the 90s films will be in this category, but we give it eight out of 10. David eight out of 10. Pumpkins. Uh, I mean, it is. A, we are we are tilting the scales a little bit. I mean, these are th- these these five weeks are five of the top films. That is a good point of the of a whole decade. Yeah, so yeah, that is a good. Point. It's gonna stand. It's gonna stand to reason. They're gonna they're gonna skew pretty pretty favorable. But but all of them, you know, slightly lesser than the visit. Am I right? Am I right? Uh, just 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 a tiny <laughs> bit. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well that is uh that is a david s pumpkins for misery where, where land the plane for us reed sure sure so well as we say on every episode the fear of god may be the beginning of wisdom but it is not the end of the conversation and if you want to continue this conversation about entitlement uh about any of the you know random celebrities i meet if you want to know who else i've met you know just email us wow. at fear of god podcast at gmail.com and entitlement. i'll uh and um i'm i'm teasing of course but yeah you can reach out to us in a variety of ways um the easiest and best way is through twitter nathan what's our twitter handle at the fear of god you can also follow me on twitter at reed lackey nathan where can they find you on twitter besides the fear of god at the nathan rouse you can also go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of our other official episode posts. You can, as I said, email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go to Facebook, like us on Facebook, follow us there, post to us, uh, or comment on one of our posts. And then, uh, last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would really appreciate an iTunes review. Um, I know this episode has gone a little longer than we normally do, and, and uh, well, eh, not That's that much a, It's longer. about standard. <laughs> yeah, uh, any, any more our, our episodes have kind of beefed up a little bit but um but listeners thank you so much for hanging in with us thank you for selecting our uh your favorite films of the 90s this is going to be a lot of fun we have three more installments we're going to count down next week uh your number 30 down to 21 which is going to be a lot of fun and we will have yet another episode (laughs) i think you will be surprised when you see next week's episode show up in your feed uh we will have yet another episode that was featured from uh, your top 10 uh so nathan thank you as always for having this conversation for hanging out with annie wilkes for a little while creepy as she is and uh thanks for just uh, being my friend being you you're welcome and just always remember man i, I am your number one fan so whatever may come <laughs> <laughs> he's got an axe right now so i'm gonna go guys uh, <laughs> uh, see you no, next seriously. week you little cock doody folk <laughs> see you next week guys bye